Father God, you say in the Psalms that our help comes from you. And so we pray, Father, that you would help us to hear you. Uh, help us to be wise and humble of heart as you speak. Help us to know that, well, the help we need uh, comes from you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please do have uh, Hebrews 13 open in front of you. Hebrews chapter 13. We, we finally come to the end of our journey uh, through this book that we've been in for a number of months. And the outline that was uh, in the description there um, might be helpful as well. Uh, Hebrews 13, but let me start in Matthew 14. Matthew 14 contains uh, one of my favorite little accounts of uh, Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus' disciples have gone ahead of him after a day of ministry. They're out in a boat. Uh, they're out in deep water. A storm is building and we're told they're very afraid. But in the middle of the storm with uh, the wind and the waves swirling around, Jesus, uh, we're told in the account, walks towards them, literally on top of the water, walks towards the boat. And uh, because of the wind and the waves and uh, all the noise, uh, they can't see him or hear him properly. And then through the storm, as they grow more afraid into all of that fear, he speaks loudly and says these words in Matthew 14, Take courage, I am. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid again and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Uh, that story and really the whole of the book of Hebrews has been calling us to fix our eyes on Jesus, not the periphery around us, not what is behind us, but what is before us in the Lord Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to trust him. He is your saviour. Do not be afraid. The book of Hebrews is written to uh, people like us who are prone to have their eyes wander off Jesus and lose sight of him. Uh, those who have shrunk back into uh, Old Testament religion, Old Testament rituals. And instead of that, they're called again to see the greatness of Jesus. They're reminded uh, in Hebrews 13 verse 5 of this, and this is what we'll be thinking about together today. These words, never will I leave you, says God. Never will I forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Uh, all the way through the 12 chapters that have led up to the one we're looking at together this morning. It is the greatness of Jesus that has been on display. So that, well, in the words of uh, chapter 12, verse 2, as we saw last week, that we would fix our eyes on him, the, the beginner and the finisher of our faith. That's where our eyes need to be fixed, like Peter in that, uh, on that water, uh, in that storm. Here's the options before us, and they were laid out in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 for us. But we can either be those who see him clearly, and in seeing him, trust him fully and so be saved. Or we are those who lose sight of him and so shrink back and are destroyed. As Peter did in the storm, as the Hebrews were doing in this letter, they were shrinking back. They were losing sight of him back to, well, religion, back to Old Testament sacrifices that seemed far more sure and reliable and certain than, well, than Jesus I wonder if you know in your own heart the fears that grow in you when you lose sight of Jesus. Perhaps they aren't a retreat back to uh, religion and the Old Testament sacrificial system. That may not be what happens in our heart as the fear grows. But there are things when we lose sight of Jesus that, that well, fears that grow in us. 
fears that weigh us down, fears that shape our thoughts and our behaviours and our priorities. Uh, perhaps they're different for each of us. Uh, I suspect for many at the moment in the isolation of this latest lockdown, it's the fear of being alone or the fear of ill health or the fear of failure, or the fear, uh, if we have failed, that there's no way back, there's no way to recover from that, uh, or the fear of not getting to the point in life where, where you've arrived, where you've actually achieved what you set out to do. There, there can be so many fears that, that drive our heart, the fear of missing out. And then there are the fears of uh, the Christian life, uh, the fears of the costs of following Jesus, the fears of the consequences of going God's way, the fear of missing out, of being hemmed in, being restricted, uh, that that, uh, the Christian life takes too much of your time, Uh, the fear that you might be on the wrong track with Christianity. I mean, what what if it's not true? The fear perhaps that you have made too much of Jesus. Well, into those fears, uh, the book of Hebrews is written to calm those fears. Hebrews 13 verse 6 declares that none of those fears should grip us if we are seeing Jesus clearly. In fact, the Christian life we're told here at the end of this wonderful letter of Hebrews is to be a fearless life. Why? Well, here's why. 13 verse 5, God says, I am with you. That's why. Uh, it's one of his most wonderful names that he gives himself uh, in the scriptures, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Uh, That's his reason why we need not be afraid. I I am with you. Why is a Christian life a fearless life? Because Jesus is with us. Twelve chapters have led up to this final chapter and their purpose has been to show us why Jesus being with us makes such a difference, why he is so great, why we can trust him, why our hope is secure with him, why we have nothing to fear. I mean, think about the things that we've seen as we've gone through this. Behold, Jesus, who has been revealed to us uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Chapter 1, for instance, we were told that the one who is with us is the creator of the ends of the earth. Again, chapter 1, we're told he is the one who has made all his enemies his footstool. Uh, There's nothing that he will be overcome by. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 10, we're we're told he is our champion of salvation, that he has won it through his suffering, that it is secure, that he has won the prize for us. That's the one who is with us. Chapter 2, verse 14, we're told that he is the one who became flesh and died to free you from your fear of death. You need not even be afraid of death because he is with you. He is, chapter 4, the high priest who stands beside you, who can sympathise with your and my weakness and represent us before God. He's the one, chapter 9, verse 14, whose, whose blood has made us pure and fit for God's service. You need not fear that you are not uh, fit for purpose for God. He has made you that. And chapter 12, verse 2, we're told he began your faith and he will finish it. He will carry you to the finish line, we saw last week. And then finally here in chapter 13, he is the one who will never leave you or forsake you. When you see Jesus clearly and you see that he'll never leave you, even when you are alone and isolated, uh, or as you head to school in the coming weeks when you're allowed to again, or when you're at home or in your workplace or in your marriage, wherever you are and whatever those circumstances are like, he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And when you see that, we're told Hebrews 13 verse 6, you can be very bold. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 
If God is for me, then no person or circumstance can determine my future. Uh, What could they do that that I should fear, says the writer? Uh, They shouldn't cause me to fear. They shouldn't shape my decisions because Jesus is with me. Whatever man can do is no match for what God has already done for me in Jesus, what he is doing for me right now in Jesus as he represents me before God uh, and what he will one day do when he comes to wrap this world up, we're told, like a blanket. Seeing this clearly, the Christian can say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. And what Hebrews 13 will do for us in the remaining verses is it shows us uh, six character traits of fearless Christian living when you see Jesus clearly, when, you, when you're trusting him. Let's, let's look at them together. You can see them on the outline if you've got that with you. Uh, here's the first. To live fearlessly as a Christian is to be a lover. That's the first five verses. As Jesus is revealed to us in God's word and as his spirit leads us to trust Jesus, then our lack of fear will show, us, show itself first and foremost in our courage to love others more than ourselves. Now, five things we're told Christians love when they are fearless like this. Here's the first of them, verse 1, that we are to love each other as a church, love each other as brothers and sisters. Uh, we've heard lots, haven't we, in, in the recent COVID updates about uh, uh, loving those who are closest to you, your blood relatives. Well, well, here's the thing. Because of Jesus, you are a blood relative to everyone in this church family. We are bound by the blood of Jesus. We are family. We are called to love without the fear of hurt that comes with that. The Bible asks, do you trust Jesus? Well, then 1 John 3, 14 says it will show itself in your love for others. That's what fearless uh, trust of Jesus looks like. Do you you trust Jesus? Is that trust visible in the world? Well, well, John 13 says it it will be demonstrated to the world by your love for each other. Matthew 24, verse 12, we're told, this is a world where the love of many will grow cold. That's the direction of love in our world. Uh, It's not natural to love others more than ourselves. And so in such a world, we are to be fearless in our love for each other. We're to spur each other on. We are to meet together in whatever way we can. And at the moment, that's uh, remotely like this. Uh, We are to realign how we think about being part of this church. That's what fearless living is. Uh, We don't come here as a consumer, but a lover. We don't come here as a job doer with our name on a roster. We come here as a brother or sister to serve. There's the first love of fearless Christian living, love of each other. Here's the second verse two. We had to love the stranger, we're told. And speaking here about uh, hospitality, because that's what the word hospitality means. It doesn't mean making, baking the perfect apple pie. It means loving the stranger. In the original context uh, here, it was about providing accommodation and, and food for, for traveling Christians to give them safe haven in a world that was, well, to be honest, opposed to them. And the Bible is consistent that true trust in Jesus will show itself in this love of the stranger. Romans 12 verse 13 says it's a command of those who trust Jesus as king to practice hospitality. Yeah. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says we are to do it without grumbling because we know he is with us. To love the stranger is to love without the fear of the intrusion that that will bring. It's to love knowing that loving even those we don't know well or perhaps don't want to know well uh, there's much to gain in that. And, and not just, uh, well, the amazing gain that's described here in this verse, uh, the opportunity that maybe by loving a stranger that God has placed in our path, an angel that we are uh, showing love to. But more than that, 
We have the opportunity to share in people's lives. I wonder if you know the difference. Uh, in the, in the, back in normal times when we were able to be in each other's homes, uh, the difference between those you let in, if you like, just inside the front door of your house and those who you'd happy to have in your kitchen, leaning against your kitchen bench talking to you. Who are the people you allow right in? Do you let strangers in? Do you let people in this church family that aren't your type? Do you, do you let people in? And in this uh, current context uh, where we can't be like that, uh, what are the ways that we might be able to love the stranger? Are there, are there people in this church family that you don't know very well but may well need a call or a text or something in, uh, well, however long, long this lockdown lasts? To be a fearless Christian is to love the stranger. Here's the third uh, example of love. Uh, verse 3, it's to love the prisoner and those who suffer. It's to love uh, in the original context without the fear of the repercussions that would come with loving a persecuted Christian. The early church actually was amazing at this. Uh, uh, Lucian, a first century satirical writer, wrote uh, mocking Christians for this. This is what he said. They left nothing undone in their effort to rescue him, speaking of a prisoner. Then, as this was impossible, every other form of attention was shown to him, uh, and not in a casual way, but with assiduity. And from the very break of day, aged widows and orphaned children could be seen waiting near the prison. Elaborate meals were brought in and their sacred books were read aloud. Uh, I mean, what a witness. Even as Lucian mocks it, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? This is fearless living. And do you see what it says in verse 3? Our love for the prisoner, our love for persecuted Christians around this world is, is not meant to be functional, but emotional. We are meant to put ourselves in their place. Imagine what it would be like to be in their place. I mean, COVID's been interesting, hasn't it? I suspect uh, for the persecuted church in places where governments are opposed to Christians, it's made life even harder for them. And uh, one of the ironies that I've noticed in, in recent weeks amongst uh, Sydney ministers like myself is that we're, we're starting to complain about the restrictions put on us, like not being allowed to sing. And I've heard it compared to, uh, well, the sort of pressure that Daniel and the others in the book of Daniel were under as if we're under real persecution. This is armchair, lounge chair persecution. Let us not kid ourselves. Real persecution that our world and Christians in our world is under is, is immense. Let me encourage you to, to look it up. Uh, look at uh, websites like the Barnabas Fund or Open Doors. See what Christians and prisoners are, around our world are suffering because they know that Jesus is with them and they will not uh, fail to trust him. Let us love them. Let us love them by praying for them. Here's another love we're to have. Have a look at uh, verse 4. We are to love, if we are trusting Jesus, if we're seeing him clearly, we are to love sexual purity. It says their marriage is to be honoured. Well, literally, let, let marriage be precious. It's not a commodity marriage. It's not a political campaign. It's not an identity marker. It's this wonderful gift as God has given it. Let it be precious to us. That's what fearless living looks like. And you see what it says there about sex? It's to be kept pure. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? When the Bible talks about sex in this verse, it describes it, it uses this word, the, this phrase for it, the marriage bed. The, the Bible doesn't know sex outside the, the marriage bed. The Bible doesn't separate them. It's radical stuff in the pagan context of this letter when it was first written, and it's radical perhaps even more so now. To live fearlessly is to love the preciousness and the purity of marriage and the marriage bed. To have no fear that if you do, that you will be missing out. 
Christians, if they are trusting Jesus, if they're seeing him clearly, are called to be radically pure. We're, we're called to be a source of wonder and perhaps derision in a world that, that treats sex like a commodity, but a source of glory and pleasure to your God who stands with you in your faithfulness. A one final love uh, that we're to have as, uh, if we're seeing Jesus clearly, and that is a love, verse 5, of contentment. Uh, two loves uh, in verse 5 are on view. There's the love of money <laughs> and there's a the love of contentment. And fearless faith shows itself in loving contentment. The lives of many in our world are, are actually in a constant fear of not having enough. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes says, uh, says that that's the permanent state we're in, no matter how much we've accumulated. What's God's answer for this fear? See Jesus. He is with you. He is your treasure and there is no situation where he will leave you or forsake you. That's where our fearlessness comes from. With him, our cup already overflows. So there's the first character trait of fearless living. It is to be a lover. And more briefly, here's a second one. Have a look at verses 7 and 8. To live fearlessly as a Christian is to be a follower. You know, the wisdom of our world is that the great ones don't follow. They, they lead, they, they break new ground, they, they forge new paths. The, the, the great ones lead, the rest follow. Not so with you, says God. To be fearless is to be prepared to be a follower. And you see there in verse 9, we're, we're told there to consider those who lead you as a Christian. Consider those who've led you in your Christian life, perhaps over the journey of your Christian life. Are there, are there people that have been significant in your Christian journey, however long it's been? Uh, for me, there are, are formative people from uh, my years uh, as a teenager that, that, that shape much of the way I think about the Christian life now. And I consider their life and it's shaped my life. And I consider those who I've served with in ministry the same thing, being led by them. Who is it for you? Truth is, like us, those that we may see leading us in the Christian life are forgiven sinners, patchy in their model. But consider them, we're told. What can you learn from their race of faith? And of course, the challenge for leaders is this. Is my life worth following? And the way to check, do you see it there, verse 8, is this. Are you following Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today and forever? And that brings us to our third aspect of fearless living. To live fearlessly is to be immovable, verse 9 and 10. You see, if Jesus never changes, if he's the same yesterday, today and forever, if, if who he is and what he has done and what he is doing is constant and can be relied upon, then, then the Christian should refuse anything that moves us from this unchangeable one. We're warned, uh, do you see there in verse 9, not to be swept away by all kinds of strange teaching. In other, literally, many-coloured teaching. And that's the thing about many colours, isn't it? It's, it's attractive and interesting and captivating compared to this unchanging word about Jesus. It's teaching that draws us in, but draws us away from Jesus. It's teaching that seems perhaps more relevant to today than, than yesterday. In my experience, such strange teaching, and there is much amongst Christians in the Christian church, such strange teaching is driven by one of two things. It's either driven by self-importance. I can save myself. I mean, for the first readers, it was about going back to Old Testament ritual and religion. That's how I can be sure of my salvation. I can save myself. 
And if it's not driven by self-importance, it's driven by self-interest. I want this, so that's what I'm going to teach. I think this, even though the Bible thinks differently, so that's what I'm going to believe. Instead, we are, verse 9, to feed upon the grace of God in his word again. We are to feed upon his final word, the word of Jesus. That alone will strengthen our heart. Uh, This is how verse 10 puts it. How do you feed on God's grace? Well, you go to the only altar we have. You see how he uses that that imagery of Old Testament sacrificial system that they were uh, tempted to go back to. He says, you want an altar? You have an altar that, that was never there before. You have the cross of the Lord Jesus. And that's our temptation, isn't it? Surely there must be more. Surely I move on from the cross. Surely there's more colourful and interesting things than that. No, your job is to sit right there and to plumb the depth of the cross. In the words of the poet T.S. Eliot, he said this of that. He said, we shall not cease from exploration. And at the end of all our exploring, we'll be to arrive where we started and to know the place as if for the first time. That's our job. Drink deep of this word of grace, the word of Jesus. To be fearless is to be immovable. We see Jesus. That's who we are. Here's a fourth uh, character trait. Uh, of fearless living when we see Jesus clearly. Have a look at verses 11 to 14. To live fearlessly is to be prepared to lose the battle and so win the war. Now, this Jesus whom we are to follow, this Jesus whom we are to set camp at his cross, where are we following him to? Well, Hebrews 13 verse 11 to 13 tells us that the path Jesus trod was one of disgrace and suffering and death. I mean, the picture in these verses is that only the shameful were put to death outside the city gates. Only the lowest of the low, only the despised went out there to die. And yet the one we follow did that. He went to the garbage dump, literally, to make you clean and to set you apart. Set apart for God, set apart from this world. So that, well, unlike any other message you're going to get in Western culture, you'd be prepared with him to move outside the gate away from self-importance, away from self-interest, towards need, towards cost, as he did. That's what fearless living with eyes fixed on Jesus looks like. And it's the opposite of how we as humans operate in this world. Uh, We as humans operate this way. When we are afraid, we move towards that which we think will make us secure. We move to the next relationship. We move to check the bank balance or to upgrade the career or we move to uh, just bunker down in our family. We move to the value-added renovations. We move to the nest egg, to the health check, to the economic stimulus, to the roadmap out of the pandemic. We want certainty and security in these things. But if 11 verse 1, you are sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see, if 12 verse 2, your eyes are fixed on the one who is the author and perfecter of your faith, the Lord Jesus, then you know where to go when you're afraid. You go to him. You find your security in him. You go outside the city gate, knowing the cost that will come because you are saying he is your comfort and security. And if you're asking yourself, is it worth doing that when we are afraid? Is it worth doing that, knowing the cost that will come with that? Have a look at verse 14. When you throw your lot in with the Lord Jesus, you are saying, I will not settle for the scraps in this world. The scraps? This city is the scraps. Our world is the scraps. It is passing away. 
But God has prepared a city for those that love him, a city that we're told in 1 Peter will never perish, spoil or fade, a, a city that 1 Corinthians tells us, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind grasped, a forever city, the better country. Jesus died this pitiful and shameful death because he knew it was worth it. He did it to make you holy and loving and risk-taking and so captivated by another destiny than anything this world offers, so uh, secured in him that you'd be unafraid to go with him outside the city gate and bear the reproach that he did. Uh, here's a fifth uh, character trait, and it really flows from that. When you are prepared to go outside the gate, here's how you'll live. You'll live passionately, verses 15 to 19. You know, I had a, uh, a Christian friend in my teenage years. He's still my Christian friend, but he influential in that time he had this little phrase about the christian life he said this means everything or nothing at all and that's the picture here it's, it's talking about praise and worship but it's not just talking about when we can sing in church it's saying your whole life is to be passionately lived in the direction of the lord jesus you to have the the heart of mary you remember her as she met jesus and she poured her whole fortune that that perfume bottle onto his feet you bet the lot on him so let me ask you, how much is he worth to you? Verses 15 to 19 say he's worth everything. He's worth lips that will confess his name in praise. He's worth hands and feet that will work for good in his name. He's worth your dependency, your prayers. And it's to prayer we now turn in our final character trait of fearless living. It's the prayer of verses 20 and 21 that this chapter finishes with. Now here's the final character trait. Uh, fearless Christian living, fixing your eyes on Jesus, means this. You never underestimate the king. Uh, come to the end of Hebrews, a letter to a fledgling church that was losing sight of Jesus and so growing in fear and losing heart. And the author has writ large in 12 chapters of, of the majesty of Jesus to steal the nerve of this church, to fire them up, to serve God without fear. And he, he's done this for us too, as we've read it. And behold, the God who is with us and for us, he's been saying. And here's my greatest fear for us as a church. My greatest fear is that even though we have seen this, we will underestimate Jesus. We will shrink back. And so to ensure that doesn't happen, the author leaves us with a stirring prayer. Have a look at verses 20 and 21. Uh, such amazing words. Such a great prayer. You have a God who brings you peace fullness and wholeness to your broken life you have a deathless shepherd who will lead and protect you he raised you he he was raised from the dead and so he cannot be defeated by any enemy even death you are bound to god by a blood-bought eternal covenant god has sealed his promise to you with his son's blood he has pledged eternity to you with his son's life you can trust him you have a god who equips you to do his will you have a promise uh, of his all-sufficient grace and so in the words of this prayer, to Jesus be glory forever. Do not underestimate this king. Live fearlessly for him. Love radically. Follow the leader. Don't move from his cross. Go with him and share in his disgrace. Do it passionately and watch as he changes the world through this fearless faith. Well, let me pray. And I'll simply pray those verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now about to uh, hear a song that really picks up on what we've been thinking about, but let me remind you again to to uh, send in your comments. We'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on that survey, especially uh, what you've been learning from Hebrews. So uh, do put them in. If you've done the, uh, the, the kid sheet bingo, we'd love to see photos of that. So please uh, send those in as well. But for now, let's listen together to Now Why This Fear. <laughs> 